We'll see. We'll see. Bird ownership. I don't recommend it. <laughs> they're not. They're not as fun as you think they're going to be. No. Nor cat ownership. Um, oh, yeah. I'm already everyone contriving. knows. Everyone yeah. knows. Yeah. I'm already contriving ways we can get rid of them when we move. Um, mm. When are you moving? What's the plan? What's the What's the uh, I, well, we don't know yet because, like, by the time we like find a house and visit it and fall in love, like, oh, it's already off the market and selling for a hundred thousand more than your budget. So, yeah, see, I mean, welcome. there's, yeah, there's your problem. You, you thought, you thought you the American dream was available for you. <laughs> How adorable! I know. Well, I still think um, now that uh, my wife and I fir firmly established jobs and um, are entering the upper echelons of society, that um, right. we, we've deserved it and we earn it and we belong in the club. And um, <laughs> we uh, welcome your invitation to the basements where all the baby eating goes on. And uh, we won't say a word. We'll protect you. Don't worry. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And then when we see any kind of um, social, racial, or uh, class uprising, we'll say, uh, uh, let me be clear, uh, shut up and dribble. <laughs> wow. <Yeah>. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Damn. You may shut not know what dribble. I'm alluding to. Other people will. But... Uh... <laughs> John, put the put the wheel in the water, get, get, start up your looms, and fire up that Fleetwood Mac because it's time to talk rumors. John, are you ready to talk rumors? Wheel in the water? Yeah, <laughs> which, you know, like which, a mill, like a mill, like a, a wheel, like oh oh, like yeah. the rumor mill. Oh, yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> I was thinking, well, see, my head went immediately to millstone, like one of those big, you know, stone wheels that you go like this. So actually, your yours makes more sense. Yes. Okay. And but we'll we'll workshop this. Yes. Guys, <laughs> come back to us in a week. And clearly, it'll be much better. And clearly, you did not pick up the brilliant allusion to Fleetwood Mac. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I look, I look. No one's no one loves Fleetwood Mac more than me. It's just that's a, you know, that's a damn haze. That's a damn. It's an all haze <laughs> with all the cocaine I've done with them. You know, <laughs> I can hardly remember. That's all. All right, but John, I'm going to fire up this mill. Okay, you ready? Okay. Um, later this year, supposedly, um, we'll see how the Delta variant plays out, but um, mm -hmm. there's going to be a release of uh, Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth. Now, this is a, a, this is a first in, in gosh, over uh, almost 40 years of filmmaking. We're seeing a Cohen Brothers movie directed by only one Cohen brother, not the other. Um, now, people thought this is just maybe an aberration, maybe, like, again, it sounded like Ethan just didn't have an appetite for the material, <laughs> like, you know, mm. um, granted, you're, you're a hugely successful filmmaker, yes, of course, like, shooting a black and white version of Macbeth on a uh, sparse set <laughs> um, with world-class actors it sounds like a great idea. I know, box office gold. Um, the studios were probably chapping at the bit for that one, that billion-dollar property. Um <laughs> But that was it. that was the original uh, rumor was that Ethan just wasn't interested in the material. But, but um, their frequent collaborator, uh, composer Carter Burwell, went mm. on a podcast and said and intimated that uh, it's not just this movie. Apparently, Ethan Cohen wants to retire altogether. He's just tired, <gasps> quote, tired of making movies. Yes, and the irony is, apparently, he gets more joy out of doing theater productions as opposed to doing movies anymore. He seems to find that more artistically fulfilling. He feels like he's already accomplished everything he could ever want to do with movies. And so 
he feels that, you know, theater is more fluid, you know, like it's, it's more of an exciting opportunity because, you know, it's like, it's different every single time. But, uh, Ethan, I will remind you, uh, the joy of movies is that you get to watch them again. Okay. Plays only happen once. Okay. And that makes them dumb (laughs) and and stupid. Last year, they haven't happened at all. Um, yes. (laughs) But it's also ironic because the movie that he decided, eh, I'm bowing out of this, is a filmed version of the Scottish play, <laughs> right? So he's like, why would I Why would I do the movie version of it when I can do real plays? Like, I don't know, I assume he's doing Death of a Salesman or something like that, some kind of like high art, you know, foo-for-all or that whatever. Is, that is not high art foo-for-all. That is pop entertainment, John. Solidly pop. What? Oh, so, pop oh, entertainment yeah. from yeah, Arthur Miller. Come on. <laughs> yeah, of course. He should be doing like, you know, <laughs> deep, dark, gritty theater yeah. like Dan Yankees <laughs> or how to succeed in business without really trying. <laughs> I was thinking more of the kind of plays that I saw or that you see in A Marriage Story by Noah Baumbach. Oh. <laughs> like those kind of like like oh the, the blackout uh, giant screens with eyes on them and then oh you're a genius. Here's a MacArthur Fellowship old grant. <laughs> there you go. Yes. There you go. <laughs> um, I mean while I can't say that I'm super excited at the prospect, and I think it is to be a little expected because of the two Cohen brothers, it's like Joel, the you know strong, tall, strapping Chad of the two, yeah. and Ethan, the whimpering simp, the tiny little, the tiny little man that he is. The, Obviously, the Chad. He goes, yeah, the Chad married to Francis McDormand, and must said he's he's already climbed, he's already conquered that mountain. All right, Ethan can only look up. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Are you are you bummed to think that we'll never get another full um, uh, Coen Brothers joint ever again, or do you think that they've already accomplished everything they could ever? No, I'm not. I'm not bummed. The reason I I also allude to um, the COVID nineteen pandemic is because looking at my entertainment options suddenly limited and not going to the theater, um, I took to YouTube and and just saw that there is just an absolute like abundance of entertainment options. And I should actually be grateful that we have so much like, gosh, the Coen brothers have directed, like, I'm just going to throw out a guess, like 10 all time great mm-hmm. movies. And yeah, like how, how much of that is an abundance of riches. And I should just be grateful that we, that we've gotten even one of them, much less that we're not going to get <laughs> any more past, you know, 2018's Ballad of Buster Scruggs, but that's, that's fine. That's, I'm okay with that. Um, the one thing I think that also you need to consider is, um, Theaters are, yes, John, as you said, more fluid. Um, They happen live. They're exciting. There's also probably air conditioning, and you get to go Mm. home at the end of the day. And I think that's that's something that uh, that I think folks are also taking for granted is that shooting a movie sucks. It is absolutely awful. And now we're talking about two. It is not fun. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that is actually one of the great things that, like, Red Letter Media kind of reminded people. I forget, like, a video a while ago. They were like, and, you know, we we understand, like, you know, the, the drive. You think that doing a movie's gonna be fun yeah guys we've done it it's not fun (laughs) (laughs) i i knew that like literally within six months of of moving to los angeles and working Mm -hmm. as an unpaid pa on short films that are that have been seen once and never again (laughs) like no it is not fun to make a movie and no it's probably even less fun when you've already reached the height of the mountain a multi-academy award winner including best picture uh to be in your mid-60s now and having to i don't know fly out to budapest for three for three months out of the year like and yeah not being that's even if you can get the funding because you still have to you know negotiate all the contracts and get all the union people on board and get your stars and then oh someone has to drop out it's you know yeah but yeah and uh Quinn Tarantino's retiring soon too, so but I'm actually joyous for that. I can't wait. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't, like again, it's it's amazing that they could manage it for let's say the thirty plus years, much less. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think they're bowing out at the right time too. Yeah, because it's it's probably even way harder as you what said. What are you talking about? It's the most exciting time for movies right now. You've got Disney and Marvel, everything, Star Wars. <laughs> Come on, you can't look at me straight in the eye and say that Joel Cohen doesn't want his own Star Wars film. Come on, he's probably got ideas for days. <laughs> Probably. And uh, Quentin Tarantino is having a hard time making his Star Trek film. I think that's what he really wants mm. to do. Um, which, I th- Did you actually like read what his whole plan was for that? Uh, no, I just assumed he could, uh, what's the fan fiction parlance, file the serial numbers off. Um, <laughs> kind of. So his idea for doing, a, the, the, again, this is like very base, like I read this, you know, a while ago and, mm. you know, this was like probably... 70 beers ago so who knows what i remember or not <laughs> the idea was there is a um there is an episode of the original series where they go down to a planet and it's basically a gangster wait what planet. they go down to a planet unbelievable <laughs> yes i know okay all right uh okay spoiler alert space travel's real in the star trek universe okay okay all right, okay. All right. <laughs> now that that's out of the way Blowing okay and other yeah. life forms exist yes they go to a planet and it's like a gangster pastiche. Like mm-hmm. apparently, you know, it's like a classic setup where it's like they uh, in- intercepted our old communique. Turns out they watched all these forty-year-old uh, gangster movies and decided that you know the, uh, this is how they should organize society. So his idea was to set it on that. So basically, it's just doing a gangster film, but with, with like the a- Star Trek trappings. And again, knowing that it's like you know fucking Quentin Tarantino, it's going to be three hours long, all dialogue and boring as hell. So. <laughs> Yeah, why not? I I can understand like maybe doing a gangster movie and then there's an alien twist or something like that, but yeah, like halfway through, but th- that's that's not going to put butts in the seats. Hence, why cowboys versus aliens had to have the the aliens straight away. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I think I've also heard rumors that they're rebooting that maybe because you know it's still it's still a hot commodity. I guess they're finally making Why the Last Man on Earth. So I know for them. At, I guess yes, at the right time, comic book properties <laughs> are so hot right now. Look at the returns for Black Widow and The Suicide Squad. <laughs> Well, it's because they, you know, they released them at home. That's true. <laughs> yeah, go to the theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to see the same warmed over crap. Like, again, that, the whole MCU is done. Like, we're we're happy with mm-hmm. it. It's gone. It's, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. like, and what's what's all that different about the Suicide Squad? Or as they call it in Germany, Das Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually got the chance to watch it. I was going to save it for Spotlight, mm-hmm. but, uh. It is a much stronger movie. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it that. I don't I, know. I don't if see you got the chance. I don't see how. No, I, I saw another recent release, so it'll be an, another fun spotlight. We know you love to oh. talk about those recent releases, but uh. hell yeah, hell yeah, baby. All right, sweet. Yeah. But enough of that. No, no, we're, we're too contemporary right now. Okay, yeah. we're instantly dating this episode by talking about recent news. Stupid, boring. No one wants that. Okay, mm-hmm. we want to talk classics. We want to talk mythology. We want to talk history. We want to talk the real real movies man we want to talk real cinema we, that's what we're here for this is aspiring snobs damn it yes and so the format of this podcast is basically we catch up on a classic film that you or i or both of us hadn't seen before and um yeah this is a, this is a big one because we're not just talking history we're also talking bushido and the samurai mm. code and steel forge katana <laughs> <laughs> prepared by <laughs> by japanese grandmasters and <laughs> Now you've actually you've actually been to um to Japan, so I'm surprised you didn't come back full weeaboos, but 
as far as you know, John. All right, <laughs> check out my alts on Twitter. Um, there you go. Yes, <laughs> we're just going to uh, fights about uh, Funimation and other and whatever's on Crunchyroll that Friday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but no, it's speaking of weeaboos. It's time to get into yeah. I think a, a Western favorite, like a worldwide favorite. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the if not progenitors, then one of the, the definite standouts of the uh, Jideki uh, or Jedi Deki uh, film genre. We're of course talking about the film Seppuku, or more uh, Quintodian uh, <laughs> Harikiri. Oh, I, did have... I thought it was Harry Carey, because it's a beautiful day for baseball. <laughs> Holy cow. I'm never going to get tired of doing that. Nope. I'm just going to do that till the end of time. I've, I'm a little annoyed, because seppuku, not only easy to pronounce, but apparently more formal. Harry Carey oh. literally means just cut your stomach. That's it. Which is, which <laughs> oh. is only half of it. Well, I think, actually, that's more appropriate a title, don't you think? Because given the themes that this movie's trying to tackle. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, like cards on the table, though, um, if I had to use to you know surmise this movie in one word, I would say austere. Yes, it's a very quiet production. It's like uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick, eat your heart out, because it's a lot of <laughs> wide tracking shots, a lot of architecture, mm-hmm. a lot of stillness. You know, very very methodically paced, very dialogue heavy. And I think you surmised it. I think you, when we were initially talking about it, you said, when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> exactly. I, you and I aren't steeped in uh, samurai movies, but we probably shouldn't compare that to this one. Because this one, because samurai movies are all about the sword fights and the, and the, mm. and the steep honor and code. This movie seems to studiously avoid <laughs> the fights. And uh, yeah, like, like, hot yeah. Fu- like, like the, my beloved movie, Hot Fuzz, kind of builds it up towards the end. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. It makes it feel earned by the end because yeah. that's when you know th- you know shit hits fans. So, yeah. Um, although there's a, a quite a bit of violence to this movie, though, I think that mm-hmm. that also that's the other good thing about this movie is that it's it spaces out. It's kind of like hard to watch moments. Um, the one that's kind of always stick, that's going to stick out to my head forever is the bamboo blade. Yeah. <laughs> there's. I guess we should set it up a little bit. We're kind of like jumping ahead. We're jumping around a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the movie so, does too. Very nonlinear. Um, Which was frustrating for me. Oh, really? Okay. Well, okay, yeah. So the the plot, such as it is, um, it's like Rashomon. And I should point out, coming from the same screenwriter, my beloved, uh, my favorite screenwriter of all time, Shinobu Hashimoto, um, wrote Rashomon Mm -hmm. and also wrote this movie. Um, Very nonlinear structure. Um, We've got a ronin, a masterless samurai, kind of adrift in feudal Japan. It's the Edo period. Everybody's poor, starving, and uh, they got nothing else to live for, especially a a ronin who doesn't have a master. So he goes to this castle and says, hey, I want to perform a ritualistic suicide to basically end my life because my life sucks. Um, 
and the the representative that he meets says like oh let me let me tell you a story about the last guy who did that um yeah <laughs> and they learn that yes samurais are doing because of this uh, era of peace right now and and also uh, austerity like things aren't going great uh a lot of people have come there like either claiming to uh be samurai or to commit seppuku but really they just want a handout really they just like want to say like i'll threaten yeah. to kill myself if you don't give me something um <laughs> Well, there's also, like, there's this kind of, like, technicality where it's, like, if you cannot fulfill it, then we have no choice but to just give you alms and just send you on your way. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they assume that this guy is doing because he's, like, I want these three specific guys to be part of the ceremony. And they're all old and firm. They're not going to make it. So Mm -hmm. he's, like, well, I guess you got to give me your money then. And they're, like, well, hold on a second, mister. (laughs) So, um, no, this is the the first guy, Hansiro, our hero. Yes, exactly. And again, this is where it gets kind of like confusing because, like, I cards on the table. I'm a dumb American, <laughs> and Bong Joon-ho has my number. The little, the little lower thirds scare me because I'm like, I don't want to read and pay attention to the screen at the same time. It's too much for my dumb, dumb brain to handle. And so, with the nonlinearity of it, and the fact that you know, there's a lot of harsh cuts. Yeah. So when he goes into his story of like, here's what happened to the last guy, we cut, but there's not enough of a kind of visual difference between these two timelines, and so I got a little confused at first. I'm like, wait, is this the same guy? Oh no, this is a different guy, because you know, at least give me like a fade or a wibbly woo, so I know maybe put like a little vignette on the t- on this thing, so I know it's a past, you know, the past or something like that. Yeah. Uh, not to again, this isn't a comparative analysis, but let's compare it to Rashomon. That's also a very non-linear film in which we're recounting mm-hmm. stories now mr kurosawa will gladly hold your hand and make it clear mm-hmm. like okay this is what's happening in present day it's raining we're in the ruins of a castle like you know costume choice everybody looks different all right now the story we're recounting bright sunlight in a jungle like you know everybody looks mm-hmm. different like again much simpler you're right it's this one doesn't do the delineation between the the past and the present um which i think to like uh, unless they're very subtle, like Hansiro has a beard, whereas like nobody else does. Um, he's yes. wearing all black when everybody else in this uh, this clan, the e- the EE clan, is like wearing white. Like yeah, like kind of smaller things, but yeah, harsh cuts. Um, the setting doesn't change obviously because it's all taking place in the same same building essentially. Mm-hmm. Which again is kind of nice because like it's obviously building up to a big blowout fight, so it's like it's nice that we spend so much time in this castle because yeah. you learn the geography of it, mm-hmm. which is going to be important later <laughs> yeah. on for the big battle. <laughs> so <laughs> well, John, we're not getting there yet because um, you're right, you're yeah. right. Um, so he recounts this tale, and it's like you said, this very visceral sequence that basically explains if you don't know what Hirakiri is, like. Um, they're, they're not sure if this guy's, again, like a, a charlatan who just wants a, a handout and then go away. Because um, he comes in with literally bamboo knives. Like, nobody's going to be mm-hmm. able to kill themselves. But they... Um, katanas, correct? Oh, excuse, excuse me. me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a katana, which is a long blade, and then samurai typically carry a short blade as well. It's Dio Forge, by the handcrafted by the master. Um. <laughs> But sorry, let's do the whole episode like that. <laughs> yes, please. That'll win us an award. Um, but uh, he comes in with bamboo swords, but they said, okay, let's see him actually like go through, like very cruelly see if he will actually go through. And we see like um, his, his second, they call him, the one who carries out the decapitation to, uh, as, as part of this honorific killing, like kind of insists that he used this bamboo blade and, you know, being a true samurai and, and wanting to maintain his honor, he actually does go through with it. He has to literally 
he stabs himself with this bamboo blade and has to like lean down on it to actually inc- like put the incision in his stomach. And yes, it's, it's very visceral. Like the, mm-hmm. um, the director's name, uh, uh, Matsuka, uh, sorry, I, I'm going to look his name up here. Uh, the director, Matsaki Kobayashi, like, d- like very good in terms of like close-ups and registering the intensity. Cause as you said, everything else is shot in a wide and really establishing like how austere this place is. And then we, and then you get the sequence and then you're woken up by this poor guy who has to go through this horrible, painful death, um, mm. at the cruelty of this, uh, at the cruelty of this, not just this plan, but also this like established culture, like, um, I, I think it's not just th- we should probably explain like we're going to get into the plot and how rich the plot is, but also how thematic it is, like how how like kind of why it's worthwhile to look at this this practice and this culture that they had, like because um, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of application to today. Like you can just say like it it could be easy to dismiss it, like oh that's that weird country where you know they th- they commit suicide the second they like I don't know forget to dot their eyes or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it's like the other thing. I was thinking about when I watched this movie, it's like, obviously, samurai pictures, much like this one, um, you know, they inspired a lot of great Western movies as well, like, Mm -hmm. specifically, not just, you know, Star Wars, obviously, but also, like, Westerns, you know, and, like, I couldn't help but feel like, oh, this is where the kind of, like the progenitor of this kind of like the mentality of a Western is. Yes, it's a bit slow. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's a bit like tense. But again, they're building towards that moment, that moment of catharsis where it's like things are going to get bloody, guys. Um, So it's kind of funny that even though, yes, there is obviously the language barrier and the cultural barrier, there's a lot about this movie that kind of translates across culture that, you know, that anyone can kind of appreciate. Because again, it's just great filmmaking on display. Like Mm -hmm. the way the camera is very kind of... um, uh, uh, very meticulously controlled. There's a lot of like appreciation for like screen direction. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they're always like, you know, it's always consistent. He's looking left. He's looking light, and then you know, very controlled like push-ins, like dun dun. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> stings, musical stings. So it's all it's all very tight. It's all very controlled. Like a Western, I think Roger Ebert mentioned that too in his uh, it, in his uh, great movies essay on this. Um, it's like the setting is this canvas for yeah, not just like awesome action, like in terms of sword fights or gunfights, but also like codes and mores and you know mm. revenge. Because because as we learned, um, on, so they relay the story of this guy, this poor guy who who 
suffered this horrible death at the hands of um and so our hero Hansiro says like I hear I hear you but I still want to go through with it. Um and so he sits down on the white platform in front of everybody and and prepares to do it but says like oh I want my second guy the guy to perform the decapitation to be as you said these three guys. Oh they're all out sick. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when something up and everybody's like drawing their sort like what the what the hell who the hell are you and what do you want? Like you know like I'm I'm glad that the the movie picked up on that because if they feigned ignorance I wouldn't have been with the movie like yeah or maybe it's being a savvy 21st century viewer. <laughs> Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, something's yeah. up, but yeah, like the, the movie's as quick as you are. And so that's when he sets down and says, let me tell you a story. And so, um, it turns out he relays the, basically the backstory of this guy who came there, came here with the, uh, the bamboo swords. It turns out he's his son-in-law. Um, he was kind of constricted to look after him after a, a clan mate of his also died in, in impoverished, you know, Edo period, um, He's he married his daughter who's who he loves and um, they they sire a grandchild who he also loves. Um, but again, this being drama, like you know, this being <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah short but sweet. <laughs> yeah. No, but this being a, a a foreign film, maybe not rich with action, but rich with drama. And so, like, mm. yes, you get heartrending scenes of uh, the the mother who's like practically stricken with illness and comatose, and the child who's suffering a fever or whatever. And what it, what is the husband? What is the provider going to do? And so, that's that's the reason he went out. He went out to this to try to get alms from this clan, and they they reveal that. Uh, now, now I thought it was this this part was going to introduce some like moral ambiguity and and again the main theme being like why are we following these mores why are we like you know insisting on this code um, yeah now his son-in-law was a samurai like like our hero Hans Hansiro is um, and it said that the, that he came with these bamboo swords now I thought that meant the intention was that he was not going to actually commit Harry Carey he was not going to actually cut himself. Um, because he couldn't with a bamboo sword. Um, but to Hansiro, this means, oh, he was actually um, so committed to his family, he pawned his swords for money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I was wondering if that's playing with the ambiguity of, like, Hansiro is so committed to revenge, he can't see that, you know, his his son-in-law gave up this this honorific of, of, of giving up his swords, basically, or... Like I don't know, I don't know how you like felt about that. That was the only thing that I don't know, like I kind of wanted to dig into deeper in terms of like the the moral like kind of clarity of this movie and this guy's quest for revenge, basically. Yeah, I mean, like again, like I going back to like Rashomon, like mm-hmm. I just kind of thought saw that more as like, oh, see, there's two sides to every story, and so obviously there's the subversion of expectations where it's mm-hmm. like they thought it was one thing, and then it's like here's the real truth about you know the matter at hand, but also like it's playing with this idea of like, you know, we we uphold this honor for what, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you know he obviously couldn't just it goes to show that you know all this pomp and circumstance and ceremony is completely useless because this is a man who needed help he couldn't just go to get help he had to conscribe this whole stupid you know yeah. thing where he sells a sword and then he has fake bamboo ones but then he can't you know to like if only you know in this relative time of peace we should all just be looking out for each other and not just rely on ceremony but they're still like Again, they're in this hierarchical structure, and that's what he's kind of, uh, kind of like railing against, and that's the whole purpose of the movie. That's the whole thesis of the movie. One of the big symbols that you know that everyone likes to point out in this movie is there is a large ceremonial uh, garb 
uh, armor worn by a shogun mm-hmm. that's, you know, meant to be, you know, indicative of like, oh, how respected and important this guy is. That suit is hollow. Yeah. And it's used at the end fight for like to represent that, you know, it's like what like what is this for? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like so I you know, I didn't think of it as like a plot hole or anything like that. Again, like I just thought it was like operating again on that like level of metaphor where it's like this could have just been, you know, this was a simple disagreement. This was a simple misunderstanding. If only people could just be more direct with each other. If we weren't like so bound by this, you know, quote unquote code of honor, we could have just, everyone could have been fine. But no, now the kid's dead. Now the father's dead. Everyone's dead. (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Well, I don't want to characterize that as a plot hole, but kind of like a, Mm -hmm. what's the thematic message? Because if we are going to contrast this with Rashomon, again, another non-linear film set in basically the time same time period like rashomon mm-hmm. it is ambiguous like what happens like they never come to a That's firm true. conclusion on what happened like here it seems like there is a strong moral clarity like the mm-hmm. director knows exactly what he wants to say about this kind of like feudal no, area yeah. and, feudal era and entrenched power and how it relates to today basically and That's so true. like yeah um but you mentioned the suit of armor th- thing um i guess we'll get to this now um Yes, he reveals that he is the, that he's basically there for revenge, and so now he it's like we've, he finally it's finally like one man you know set up against the the these this the entire castle full of like defending samurai, um, and actually he uses that empty suit like he reveals that that suit that the, everyone's praying over that suit of armor is hollow, and he uses that as like a last line of defense against these guys. So like he's still mm-hmm. symbolically still like using it as the defense, but I like, guess that's true. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you're right, because, like, yeah, the movie is definitely on his side. Like, he's the one who's kind of, like, morally in the right. And it's also kind of, like, meant to be tragic, because even though he does take out this, you know, wave and waves of guys, (laughs) he still ends up losing. But again, like, it's implied that that's a moral victory. It's, like, tragic, but, you know, he he kind of won at the end because he proved, you know, their whole system was bunk. So, well, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's a little more ambiguous than I'm giving it credit for, I guess. Yeah. Well, well, let's jump back because um, okay. I do want to contrast the two, uh, the the movies of today. Let's say, because mm. um, yeah, before this, like the reason he requested those three guys is because to start his like plan of revenge, um, he actually encounters them and like kind of shows that them as emperor they have no clothes. Basically, like their whole uh, s- system of honor is bunk because he 
he goes after them with this like he, he goes after them they have this violent confrontation and he doesn't kill them what he does is he cuts off their their man buttons their their um, mm. not top their top knots um yes. which is which is literally in this in this society just as shameful as dying and so mm. when they, when they say they're all actually sick what they are is actually waiting for their top knots to grow back so they can't go back with this dishonor and it turns out they're still alive so they're not even living by their their um their samurai code and and committing seppuku as they should like you know like mm. so again it's just showing like how how bunk this whole system is um and I and I like that, but what I what I was fearful of is that this would turn into like a superhero movie. Like, oh, it's not that this guy is like driven by revenge; he's also super powered in his quest for revenge, <laughs> and he takes out these three guys like all at once. Like, and and I thought like, oh, he's gonna fight his way out of the castle, and it's gonna burn behind him, and he's gonna walk away like cool, oh. like cool guy. <laughs> and now look away. at the explosion, yeah. and then it's gonna explode. <laughs> yeah, and I was afraid it was gonna go there, but it's still like a human story with human emotions and, and he does succumb to, um, this, the, the, the 40 guys basically surrounding him. You know, it's not, mm. it's not, uh, the bride and kill bill volume one taking on the crazy. <laughs> yeah. idiots, so. <laughs> no. And again, like, that's the thing. It's like, he loses the battle, but he won the moral victory because yeah. he was, he was still right. And so like, that's the kind of, there's the kind of dramatic irony of it all that mm-hmm. I think that kind of makes it, very poignant um well what i think makes it even more point like i don't know you could argue if we're talking politics there are no moral victories um (laughs) i guess that's also true yes (laughs) but yeah yeah he kind of like um laid bare like all the hypocrisies and and idiocy of this like moral code of honor but like the guy he's up against this ee guy the Mm -hmm. the guy he's been confronting like says like just makes it up like just says like um uh don't say that he actually killed anybody say that um he was a crazy person and we did great and uh our three top guys who we requested um uh they're all ill or die or died like of mm-hmm. and say like make up the lie maintain the lie no matter what like yeah mm-hmm. I mean, that is kind of something I would like to kind of like know, like, was this, what was the reception of this movie? Because it is trying to like kind of destroy the larger kind of cultural myths surrounding Japan. Mm, So it's like, what was, and again, this is trying to be like the anti-Shogun film, you know, Mm. (laughs) where it's like, you wait two hours and then you get your fight scene at the end. You have to sit through a lot of dialogue first. You have to, you know, have your vegetables before you get your dessert. So I, I wonder what was the reception when this movie first came out? Was it like, well, lauded? Or was it kind of like reviled for the fact that it was kind of pushing boundaries and kind of being like, oh, that code we say we live by, maybe not so great. <laughs> well, I think it's well, it's it's kind of if um kind of poking at an antiquated form of like mm-hmm. yeah nobody nobody I, I don't that's think, true yeah. yeah I don't think anybody in Japan really lives by the Bushido code unless you're Yukio Mishima or something like that and you want to. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this was a rapidly, rapidly industrializing nation, so yeah. I'm sure they didn't have time to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, like, culture, like you know, there's great shame in, say, like, losing their job. But, yeah, I think on a, on a liminal level, people appreciated, like, yes, with our current system of entrenched power, like, we are, we feel like, uh, like, feudal in this capitalistic system. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, and I don't know what the reception is at, um, at, in Japan was, but, Again, it's it's hugely admired here in the United States, where yeah, we love our anti-capitalist media. Um, and think think of this in *Parasite*, like how oh, like how entertaining they are, but they're also richly textured and thematic. And and it did win classic uh, Hollywood communist, yeah. you know, dribble communist propaganda. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
and it did win a, a big award at uh, the Cannes Film Festival. Not the not the top award, but like a jury prize, like the, like the um, like the screenplay awards at the at the Oscars. Oh, like, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> you're the true original, unique vision. But you know, in terms of what everybody can agree on, it's going to be Green Book. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Yes, they're just giving out the technical awards right now. I think they're onto writing. You know, Greg, better or worse than Rashomon? Go. You have to decide. You have to decide. Uh, if I had a time machine, I could go back to um, when I saw Rashomon in high school, and it changed fundamentally changed who I was as a person. Um, maybe, but uh, and I put in and I got and I checked out uh, Harry Carey, the Harry Carey VHS from our public mm. library. Um, maybe things would have turned out different, but no, I I still love Rashomon for yes, like the 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 filmmaking clarity stuff, like like again, mm-hmm. like the the stuff of like um the two storyline one takes place in the driving rain one takes place in like clear sunlight yeah. like the the fact that it does end ambiguously and it's more well, there's it's also more just it's it's more colorful like i suppose yeah. like there's more kind of like characters and more textures like again they interview a ghost in that movie yeah. you know <laughs> there's a tashiro mifune performance in which he's like jumping around and yelling and laughing yeah. like yeah mm-hmm. like like i want to give all credit to to the star of this movie tetsuo Nad, uh, nakadai um <laughs> forgive me japan uh, <laughs> but uh that, again, like a wonderful, great lead performance, but it, like so steely, so like straight down the line, and like uh, it's kind of reserved. Like contrast that to to Shiro Mifune and all his samurai movies, where he's again like laughing, throwing out his arms, like you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like again, going back to like the the Kubrick uh, comparison, it's like everyone kind of says like, oh yeah, Gru- Kubrick was like a great filmmaker, but there's no humanity there, and yeah. so it's like this movie is like great, but it it feels a little too inhuman i think at times that would be my greatest criticism is that it is just a little too cold at times like mm. the only times where it, like it gets kind of like again deeply personal is when we find out that it's like oh it's the son-in-law his child is dying and that kid is coughing and the wife is you know yeah uh, um the wife is apoplectic you know yeah. it's like that's that's the only time that it gets like you know kind of high stakes whereas the rest it's you know but again that's 
the point. You know, they're all, you know, st- you know, stone-faced, you know, killers, quote-unquote. Yeah. They're all like, yeah, yeah, this is tradition. This is how men act. <laughs> Grr. <laughs> No, so, so it, it's. I blame as, the patriarchy. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yes. <laughs> so to answer your question, is it as great as one of the greatest films of all time? Um, not quite, but it's almost there. Like mm. this is like, this is a, a wonderful, rich movie to watch and really enjoy. Like I could see like the the cult following it's gained like in the United States again, top 250 on both IMDb and Letterboxd. I know it's a surprise <laughs> knowing their demographics and how different they are, but. Uh, <laughs> No, it's completely worthy of it. It's 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 outstanding. But uh, but yeah, as you said, like again, those those little nitpicks, like um, d- yeah, it, you really got to commit yourself to watching. Um, it doesn't give you your dessert, your your real like cathartic violence until the very end. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can you can kind of like you know, I, I don't know, like uh, ding it for that if if you are just like want to watch a good entertainment product. But no, it's like a a, a deep, richly themed text. So. Movie good, yeah. <laughs> good, good. That good. should be our rating system. Not thumbs up or thumbs down. Like good, not Just, good. <laughs> there you go. Yes, simpler. Yeah. We need to streamline this. <laughs> yes, we do. That's the one you thing know, I'd... there's not, you know, people are just, they're dying for good film criticism, a.k.a. telling if it's good or bad. Yes. <laughs> is it, is it, I don't know, what words can we use? Rotten or fresh? Mm, <laughs> yes. If, could we add a numerical number to it? People yeah. like numbers. Yes, they <laughs> People do. like grades. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like the binary. I like, is it good or no? <laughs> um, <laughs> good or no? Yes. <laughs> Um, that <laughs> Harry Curry uh, would be good, uh, but again, they uh, they don't use the shield forged of katana uh, mm. to commit yet. Instead, they're using a bamboo sword, which uh, I wouldn't even deign to use for training. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> so no, the rating goat falls to not good for me. <laughs> what is the um, what is the sport where they use the bamboo? Is it kendo? Kendo, that's the one. Yes, yeah. I, I've I've done so I been hit with kendo because i used to do karate i was like oh, i had to yeah. be conditioned with kendo like that shit hurts <laughs> like bamboo is a it's a very wait, wait a minute conditioned <laughs> were, yes. you, were you abused john were you hurt <laughs> no 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 it was like it was light whapping and you know it's like you know just kind of like getting your bones like a little more you know firmer but again it wasn't like you know it's sure. like yes bones firmer that's science <laughs> shut up okay greg it's an ancient tradition all right and the fact that you're criticizing it shows that you're racist okay, yeah. okay. fair enough Oh, I was going to ask one thing. Um, you never entered, like, karate tournaments, right? Or, no. Okay. Because no. the style I was doing was much more focused. It was much more the kind of, like, it was halfway between, like, self-defense and yoga. It was okay. more, like, kind of, like, focused on inner peace. Okay. Not necessarily, like, oh, man, I could flip you over and, like, do karate kicks and Jackie Chan my way out of any situation. <laughs> okay, so you weren't, you, you weren't doing MMA, you know? You weren't, no, you weren't no. awesome like that. Um because yeah, to date this episode even further, um, the, the we're recording the day after the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, even though it's a year later, um, mm-hmm. ended um, to to just a collective uh, shrug, um, <laughs> a groan. Just, yeah, I guess what, that happened. Yes, but of the uh, baffling things to happen during this uh, athletic tournament tournament in the midst of a pandemic, is uh, during the karate. Um, somebody landed a kick that was apparently too hard, knocked out the competitor, and the knocked out competitor, the technically that guy was disqualified for that, and because the idea in karate is to not actually knock out your opponent, it's said to land but not actually hurt or kill them. Um, 
Well, of course, Greg. It's just like fencing. It's about the artistry. <laughs> sure. It's not about it's not about trying to destroy your opponent. It's about trying to one up them. Ha ha! Good sir. Yeah. <laughs> I've defeated you. Yes. Who can forget the artistry of fencing, where it's a uh, beep clang beep. <laughs> <laughs> A, a, a true sport of kings, if you ask me. <laughs> I think more sports need some kind of like electronic conductor running through yes. them. I think that's just fun, okay? <laughs> that is true. Get the nerds involved. That's true. Like, why don't they do that with football? Like, again, th- th- we could have laser technology going up the <laughs> going up through mm-hmm. the uprights, and we never have to have an ambiguous field goal again. But no, they just refuse to do it. Yep. <sighs> it's a pity. Yep. Like that's what football needs, more technology. Yes. <laughs> that's what makes it the best sport to watch on television. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's okay. the technology. Yeah. Instant replay. All right, John, we've transitioned to, to 89.5, <laughs> the sports hour. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, John, let's before, before we uh, embrace debate and talk about uh, uh, who's on the training block in the NFL, uh, let's, let's recommend a movie for folks, huh? Let's get to those recent releases. What did we see this weekend? <laughs> hey, we're hitting you with a little spotlight. 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 Yankees and six. Wow. How about that? That's great. That's great. So that's your prediction, huh? Yankees and six? Or the Braves. You never know, dog. <laughs> Brought to you by Belly Total Fitness. <laughs> I was gonna say it's the it's the diet plan, guys. I was a disgusting slob, <laughs> but with three days, I'm still a disgusting slob. But I'm thirty pounds lighter, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I just look, assume. everyone everyone has different bodies, okay? And yeah, look, I know. there's some people that you know they like they treat their bodies like a temples and they're still just going to be chunky okay we all you know everyone like there's plenty of joe no, rogan's no, out there I, you know yes, i didn't mean to body shame i was more making fun of like uh keto for like aggro dumb dumb dumbs uh <laughs> who love sports who obviously don't want to give up their their uh beloved uh meat but uh yes yeah. i don't know man we were dog sitting for friends who keep keto and i'm just like how do you they, how do they live like this <laughs> this isn't human this is wrong <laughs> They eat like RoboCop. It's like all rabbit food. <laughs> it's all like pastes and things. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. Any hoops. Yes. Greg, I watched The Suicide Squad. Or as which, they say in French, Le Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. <laughs> yes. Which thematically goes quite nicely with Harry Carey, wouldn't you say? I, I don't know. I didn't get a chance to see it. Obviously, I saw mm. the first Suicide Squad movie. Uh, in theaters and thought it was okay. I didn't think it was the worse than uh, COVID-19, so um, I'm obviously watch an outlier it, Watch there. it again, because <laughs> I think... <laughs> watch it again, because... Um, which you can, you know, freely on HBO Max. So mm-hmm. uh, try it again and see, because again, the, the theater experience adds quite a bit <laughs> that when you're watching it on your TV, I'm like, oh God, wow, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. So, yes. But we're not here to dwell on the past. Let's talk no, about... No. Yeah. Let's talk, talk about, about the future. future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was written and directed by uh, James Gunn. And what's nice is that, you know, he is the sole writer. He is the sole director. There doesn't seem to be um, any kind of backdoor maneuvering. Mm-hmm. And look, let's just let's just admit, you know, I'm not going to say these are facts, but I think James Gunn is an extremely talented filmmaker because he understands the limits of both making something that is kind of like by the numbers, broad, gentle kind of entertainment, and then also pushing that taste of, you know, something that is gross, something that is, you know, kind of uh, visceral, 
gross, yeah. something tasteless. Yeah. So the fact that he understands both of those and is able to kind of like blend those kind of neatly, I think is a definite strong suit. Uh, I also want to kind of recommend another movie he did called Slither. Have you ever gotten a chance to see Slither? Not the whole thing. I, I get freaked okay. out by it too much. <laughs> but I've seen like the scene of the bathtub and the woman who like, you know, was it's like the size of like the barn or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen that. And I'm just like, not, not for me, thank you. Um, <laughs> but see, that's the thing. I will not thing. take that free sample. <laughs> but again, that's the thing. It's like those moments, yes, they, they hurt and they're obviously not what we look for in entertainment but again he's able to kind of like wrap it and his movies have enough themes and ideas and good characters at work that it's like yes when those moments come we cringe but also it's like all right i'm invested enough to to you know sit through see it it through yeah okay exactly um I'll I'll spoil the first ten minutes because again like this is what kind of like makes the movie really sharp. Mm-hmm. You've seen the big casting posters. You've seen like these are all the people we have. When we initially set up the movie, you know, here's the half the team. You get your Pete Davidsons. You got your um, uh, fuck, what's his name? Shit, Michael uh, Rooker. Or... Yeah, Mike. You've got your Michael Rooker. You've got you know these big names. They're going in. They're doing a mission. They all get killed within the first five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Even Jai Courtney, like Captain Boomerang, done, dead, okay. gone, gets sliced by a helicopter, done. <laughs> I don't know how he feels about that, because um, Jai Courtney. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if the rest of Hollywood has come calling. Like, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got. He was, he's he got he was going to be our bland Australian everyman, but yeah, mm. it's not happening anymore. No, <laughs> you know, once once we reaped Sam Worthington, it was his turn. Yeah, <laughs> and now and now, Lord knows, who's and next, that revolving so. door spins again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so then we find out that that was just a diversion for our core team, which has, you know, John Cena, Idris Elba, you know, and they're the ones who are actually coming in to do this dangerous mission. And then mm-hmm. we get the flashback setting up, you know, how they got Idris Elba in on the team. And we've got him as uh, dead. Po- <laughs> not dead Will Polk. Smith. Yeah, not, not, yeah, Will, not Smith. Will Smith. <laughs> so the problem with the DC Universe is they have 10 million master assassins, which all have the names Dark, <laughs> Dead, <laughs> Combo with, blood, combo yeah. with like whole blood. You know, it's just swap the words around, yeah. change the mask, new master assassin. <laughs> yes. I get it. I know what you're saying. Comic book yes. readers are dummies. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> so he's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, he gets, they get a lot of mileage out of teaming him up with John Cena's Peacemaker, mm-hmm. who is very much a America, my way, right or wrong kind of person. You know, he's like, I ensure peace. And I don't care how many women yeah. and children I need to kill to ensure peace. <laughs> <laughs> like, very similar to James Gunn's Super, like a guy yes. who wants to be a superhero, like, obviously, like, you know, can't. But too, it's, it's too misanthropic. That's the word I was yeah. looking for, misanthropic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And also, it's important that Peacemaker is there with that kind of like point of view because. What also this movie has on its mind is the fact that they're kind of traveling into a fictionalized banana republic. And mm-hmm. so there is this idea of like American imperialism overhanging this. And then finally, now we also have Rick Flagg. Remember Rick Flagg from the first <laughs> movie, the breakout character? <laughs> I do. He has a tearful monologue that I can still recite word from word. And I will. <laughs> <laughs> so Rick Flagg is back. And he's the one now who has, like, the moral qualms because it's, like, he's the one who kind of has to face, like, he's dedicated his life to the military and serving America, quote-unquote, even though they're doing these unscrupulous things like destabilizing, you know, a a budding nation with its own, you know, self-determination. What do you mean, John? No, that was the people who did an uprising, okay? They didn't like their unfair election. (laughs) Yeah. And they just hate America because they hate our freedoms. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it's the leaders who obviously hate America, and um, just by coincidence, there happen to be death squads running around, and <laughs> and the people do a popular, in massive air quotes, uprising. <laughs> there you go. Yes. So yeah, it's got a lot on its mind. It's it's really well done. Like there's this mm-hmm. great. Um, I'll spoil another great moment for you. Okay. Um, there's this great, like, kind of, like, one-tracking shot where we follow John Cena and Idris Elba as they, like, infiltrate this camp. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, this one shot where, the, you know, it's like we follow Idris as he just, like, mows down five different guys, and then the camera pans over and we see Michael... Uh, not Michael Sarah. Shit. Um, <laughs> John Cena as he's, like, doing his, you know, shtick, and then we, like, travel back and forth. And it's, like, very cleverly done. And mm-hmm. then when we get to, like, the end, it's, like the whole point of the infiltration is they were going to rescue Rick Flagg. And they yeah. get there, and Rick Flagg is there, and he's safe. And he's like, did you get out? And he's like, no, this is the rebel camp. These are the good guys. Where have you guys been? <laughs> hey, it's really quiet. Have you seen, have you seen anybody else? <laughs> and then they're like, ooh, ooh, ee. And they all kind of like back away slowly. <laughs> okay. So it's like, it gets dark but again like it, it it balances its tone very well and again it's yeah. just like very well made and you know he's got an ear for dialogue and one of the things i love about it is like again like this is a major criticism of the original suicide squad which wanted to be a james gunn movie and he still does the same thing where he you know he, he punctuates certain moments with hit songs yeah but what's the best part what i loved most about the movies was when we cut back to the meanwhile back at the ranch amanda waller mm-hmm the kind of like Viola nefarious, Davis, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the Viola Davis, the nefarious woman who's kind of like organizing all this. She's in like this kind of like bland conference room mm-hmm. and, or like this very like office spacey kind of like cubicle form where they're all like tracking and they're all like making bets and they're all very like blithe. So when there is these kind of like bombastic action scenes, we cut back to that and it's just like static quiet <laughs> where we just hear the humming of the fluorescent lights above them. It's, okay. it's you know, it's just, it's just very well done. It's, it's, in, right. it's incredibly well done. And especially when you compare it to the original Suicide Squad, it's, it's, it's a minor miracle that they, it was able to be made with very little studio interference with okay. out of yeah. trailer house being like, no, it needs to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 kind of a weird thing because yeah everyone everyone seems to be reacting positively to this one mm-hmm. and it's done terribly at the box office contrast that to <laughs> the the articleless um suicide squad <laughs> where everybody hated it upon first release and it was a massive hit um i don't know maybe it was just will smith who did that or the direction of david ayer um but uh yeah i i, I will check it out eventually like um, I, I'll, if if nothing else, just to see Polka Dot Man um, really have a mm. big, strong redemption arc. Um, <laughs> I understand he's got a, a full backstory too, and yeah, um, he's got like a Norman Bates kind of the, his his running gag. I didn't really appreciate. Um, he doesn't actually wa- he he actually is very squeamish. And he doesn't like killing people, mm-hmm. but he has an abusive mother. So what he does is he pictures his mom as the people he needs to kill. Yeah. And so she's this like, you know, like it's like this fattest kind of like, Oh, she's gross and she's fat. And so it's like, the joke is we get from his perspective. It's like these goons, you know, in yeah. army fatigues, but it's this, you know, large woman. And so it's like, I didn't find that gag particularly funny, but it's okay. like, you know, again, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the, got the a bat- bigger hit ratio, ratio than miss ratio. So yeah, yeah, I was going to say the batting average is higher than that or whatever. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, John, you saw a recent release from the comfort of home. Uh, my wife and I went out to the movie theater and let's see if it actually like enhanced this experience when it comes to Disney plus a few days later. Oh, okay. um, 
for free because I think it's got a premiere access thing or something like that. John, it's Disney's Jungle Cruise. Um, mm. We also got a chance to watch this premiere <laughs> access, baby. <laughs> okay. Our friends bought it, and so we shared it. <laughs> who are your friends who, instead of going to a movie theater, the ultimate movie watching experience, just content just to plop $30 and, and share it with your friends? John, you wouldn't download a movie, okay? Or you wouldn't download a car, all right? <laughs> How That's what they, they need to bring. They need to bring back those grunge era, you know, like yeah. piracy is a crime. Yeah. <laughs> it's just taking food out of the mouths of our beloved AMC Corporation, like <laughs> and real cinema. Scarlett Johansson, she's yeah. starving herself <laughs> yeah. because she's not getting those royalties, folks. I know her beak. Her beak is bone dry. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a comment on her appearance. She's she's beautiful. All right, so. Yes. <laughs> So, sorry. <laughs> Apologies. Inadvertent language slip-ups. Anyway, Jungle Cruise. Um, it's clear they want to capture the Pirates of the Caribbean fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I think one thing they were really hamstrung by is that <laughs> there is no affection for Jungle Cruise. Hence why today it is like the <laughs> the jokey, self-referential, like, you yes. know, like <laughs> hand wave away of the ride. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, this is based on a ride that is at Disneyland. I don't think it's at Disney World. Um, but it's one of like the original rides at Disneyland. So they had very primitive like animatronics showing like a, a hippo coming out of the water. And uh, look, there are alligators like kind of slowly waving their tails on the shore and things like that and like for 1960 i'm sure it was very exciting to see this but like i I think it was around the 1990s now people are like rolling their eyes at it so what they had like what who the tour guide was is basically now making like self-referential jokes and puns yes bad puns bad jokes you know yeah Mm -hmm. and so like like wonder woman 1984 you get two not one but two opening action sequences that establish this one is uh basically our swashbuckler she's played by uh, emily blunt and mm-hmm. um and yeah it goes to this like kind of stunt sequence but um I, I don't know i'll get to an overall criticism later but then we follow that up with like literally the ride itself and this is when yes. like it, again it feels like the movie comes to like a dead stop just to do the ride which again isn't beloved like what's great about the pirates of the caribbean movie not beholden to the pirates of the caribbean they didn't actually have to show uh men chasing prostitutes around or yes, they, as they do it now it. yeah the wives chasing the men uh to make it more <laughs> to make it more politically correct um <laughs> yes they they just use the title and then the theming and that's it yeah and you know, like there's a lot of ways that they could have done, you know, just, oh, boat going down the, like, again, it's just the African queen again. Um, I've read that, yes, it literally takes 15 minutes to get to the opening title, <laughs> because again, we need these two establishing shots. We need, yeah. you know, the, the swashbuckling woman, and then we need, you know, setting up the Rock's character as this swindler, as this, yeah. uh, this charlatan. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it, but here's my like overall problem. And I think it's, um, I think it's a production problem. Like, I don't know if this was shot during COVID, but I don't no, think... No, it, w- it was going to be released last summer. Okay. So I think it was already finished. I think they were mm-hmm. only, like, touching up special effects and things like that. Okay. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. John, can you recall a shot in which Emily Blunt and The Rock are seen together face-to-face where you see both of their faces in the same shot? Yes, you there okay. is the underwater scene where he has to kiss her to give her oxygen, yes. which doesn't physically work because you breathe out <laughs> carbon dioxide. So he's just putting carbon dioxide back into her system. <laughs> but John, when does that happen? At uh, hour three of this movie or something? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
by then I did have to go to the bathroom. So <laughs> I have a very small bladder, and we need to make movies shorter. Please. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest problems is for a swashbuckling adventure, it just doesn't slow down enough. Oh, like, okay. you know, you need those kind of moments of, like, banter which this movie does kind of have but it's after like chase sequence after chase sequence it's like oh these people want to chase oh, no no these people want to chase me and yeah. it's like this movie's trying too hard to like capture it, it's already been noted this is the exact same plot of the 1999 mummy or yeah. is it 1996 i can't remember no it's 1999 anyway. yeah yeah 1999 mummy uh it's trying to do the indiana jones thing with you know the mm-hmm. ancient temple with all the you know mechanicals that still work hundreds of yeah. years later somehow <laughs> yeah. um it's trying to do that pirates of the caribbean thing but like Gore Verbinski had like a real kind of knack for getting that kind of like manic energy to feel right. Whereas mm-hmm. like this is the guy who did like the Night of the Museum movies, and it's just <laughs> it's cut too quick. Half the lines feel like they're ADR'd after the fact. <laughs> where so, so this was going to be my thing. Yes. Yeah. Like the reason I point that out is because I literally do not think they could have Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt on the same set because Emily is like often georgia or england shooting a quiet place part two and the yes. rock is shooting like hobbs and shaw or something like that so i'm like like wh- why even cast them if they can't physically be in the same space and that's why it's so cut so cut to pieces like i, I mm-hmm. bet the average shot length of this movie is like a second it felt like a michael bay movie at points and that's because they didn't have their like stars physically on set and it's because like if i can blame capitalism again like disney needed a q2 like summer blockbuster thing and mm-hmm. like jungle cruise is it and we got to throw it together like and yep. you know it's got to be the rock needs a franchise the rock yeah. still doesn't have his franchise yet yeah. <laughs> we still need to figure out what to do with him yeah <laughs> which i like i kind of think the rock was kind of miscast for this a cuz you know he's a you know <laughs> Pacific Islander why, why, yeah. Also, yes, he's like six six and like three hundred <laughs> yes. pounds of zero percent body fat muscle. Like, yeah, yeah. Like again, like part of the original impetus of the Jungle Cruise is they're trying to ape off the African Queen. Yeah, and so you wanted someone who's more Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart, a little more like Hangdog, yeah. because like I was talking about this with my friends. It's like, yeah, I get the bad puns, but why was it so droll? And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's how they actually do it on the ride. Yeah. Like, I thought, you know, it should have been, like, more chipper or something like that. But maybe I thought that because it's The Rock. The Rock has this kind of, like, winky attitude. He doesn't do, like, ho-hum and droll that well. He no. does, like, you know, oh, swagger coolness. So he's just, he's kind of miscast for this movie. Not just, you know, the fact that, you know, it's racially, he's meant to be a Spanish. <laughs> he's meant to be part of the Spanish conquista. He's supposed to be, spoiler alert, yeah. he was part of Aguirre's, you know, original crew. Because again, we're 400 years pir- ago, yes, and he got yeah. cursed. Because mm-hmm. again, it has to be like Curse of the Black Pearl, and it has to be Pirates of the Caribbean again. He yeah. was part of the original crew that got cursed. So yeah, yeah. and they're and they're chasing that dragon. I remember at the climax of Curse of the Black Pearl, it looks like Jack Sparrow's done for or whatever. But he's actually because he has the curse, he's immortal for that yes. moment or whatever. And they've been chasing that dragon ever since or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it seems like they're kind of doing the same thing. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, it just seems like a whole like not like half measure or something like that, but like a desperation to like make this work. And I yeah. also felt that in, in the villains, like the pirates of the Caribbean, they're supernatural. Um, they're grotesqueries. And um, yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to knock a, a conquistador made of bees though. I think that's yeah. kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends. Like some of the effects work like that guy who's like literally like only a face and like half a body and the rest of it's like bees. Um, but what didn't work is a, uh, the main antagonist played by um 
uh, Edgar Ramirez. Is that that actor's name? Again, he's in everything. God bless yeah. him. He can't get a starring role after Carlos. Poor guy. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, he's made of like snakes, and you see the snakes crawl through his skin, like literally through his cheeks and you know out of his mouth or something like that. But it's clearly like. I don't know, they didn't spend that extra year that they had to like I don't know really work out the CGI so it doesn't it doesn't feel real it doesn't feel as like as um as spooky as say Davy Jones did and how that felt or something like that's true yeah yeah so like yeah it, it, well it's, it's also like, like they're they're more of an obstacle too because the real villain should be Jesse Plemons right <laughs> or is he like the comic relief because I like I like Jesse Plemons' performance. I think he he kind of knew what kind of movie he was in, so he was kind of having fun with it. But he's the one who kind of unleashes the curse on them. So it's not like at least with the Pirates of the Caribbean, it's like it's Barbosa. It's just Barbosa, yeah. and that's it. Yes, you've got Commander Norrington, but like he's barely in it. In this one, it's like oh okay, the main antagonist is the German prince. No wait, it's also the cursed conquistadors it's yeah it's too it's too comp just streamline it guys just yeah. streamline it you don't need to make it too complicated <laughs> and and we have paul giamatti being, being oh, like <laughs> being his big joyous white suited uh uh vague accent itself or whatever he's in it for like two minutes and yeah we get nothing out of him we could have had monkeys smoking cigars if he had his, <laughs> if he got in his request there you go yes yeah that would have been but perfect no. yeah but no yeah it just seems like like half like half finished or something or like halfway there. Like if they gotten Emily Blunt and the rock together more often, there could have been more chemistry. Um, mm-hmm. If there wasn't this, uh, again, commitment to being politically correct, uh, Jack Whitehall could have been uh, a, a real character and not a diversity hire or whatever. It was like, <laughs> cause I guess that's the other, like now claim to fame in this movie. Like um, the PR like was out in full force. Like, Hey, it's a, it's an out and out gay character. Yeah. Um, he's gay and he, he has... actually admits it. You don't get it just like two seconds of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, in a scene that can be cut out um, for release in, in Russia and in Indonesia. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But like yeah, but like oh, it's it's so it's so inclusive. But he's still like a, a feminine dandy fop, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Don't you feel like this a, a credit to your tribe? Like you know. <laughs> and again, it's only because they're trying to ape, you know, the mummy again. You know, she mm. also had a brother who was foppish and dumb and got yeah. into scrapes and things like that. So yeah. yes, everything and this also, movie does has been better done elsewhere. So yeah. it's like, what's mm. the point? Yeah, and. <laughs> well, and and the other thing I wanted to mention about the logically that Dandy Fop character doesn't make sense because um, he's like, oh, I've, I've been ostracized from my family because of my you know heavily implied sexuality, and I'm like, brother, haven't you heard of the Navy? <laughs> like, what the hell is like? This? <laughs> but Greg, he's of he's of higher st- esteem. He's of royal yeah, oh, blood. Yeah. You're right. We need to worry about the the legacy of the Abbey. <laughs> who's going to Who's going to <laughs> Get the Abbey when yes. we're all gone. Let let the coal miners, uh, coal miners' children, uh, charge up into no man's land and get uh, I don't know uh, infected with mustard gas and machine gun fire. <laughs> you go. Yeah, but um, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, it's done better. Like, I don't know. Like, I want to give them credit because they do have such like thin material to work with. Like, I don't, the ride is pleasant. Like, you know, you sit down, you enjoy some like terrible puns or whatever. But like, yeah, like. I don't, yeah, you're right. This is this has been done better as like even the African Queen, a movie I didn't like. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the African Queen, it's Indiana Jones, it's Pirates of the Caribbean again. Yeah. It's, it's so many things that and none of them ever yeah, ever reached the level, even like meeting the level, even like getting within ten percent of the level <laughs> of other movies doing it better. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and like I'm the, and also this is coming from the biggest like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean apologist on the planet. <laughs> I still contend that those first three movies are pretty do- darn good. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't reach those heights. Again, it's chasing that dragon, and you know we want to want to stage an intervention like for <laughs> for Disney. Like you know, if you are gonna try to do a pre pre planned property or something like that, I don't know. Go back to the Great Mouse Detective or Black Cauldron, or yeah, <laughs> or the Rescuers. Again, we yes, will not rescu- we will not rest the until the Rescuers gets their justice. Although yes. again, the perfect movie's already been made. The Rescuers Down Under. There you go. That's a great point. Good point. Yeah. No, no reason to do a remake. Um, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess that wraps up this episode. Let's just pull this puppy into the station. Just Wrong. dock it. Like, what? <laughs> press, John, press that damn <laughs> trivia challenge button. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is totally unexpected. I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, neither was I. Um, because uh, <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> uh, because, John, you, you, you and I like to look at film history. Um, I feel like a uh, trivia challenge is really educational. Um, not this time. Instead, we're going to be looking at marketing. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, I was looking at uh, the Hari Kari uh, IMDb page in preparation for this episode, and something uh, caught on that page caught my eye. Uh, it was the tagline for the uh, American release of this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it states, The world has never understood why the Japanese prefer death to dishonor. This samurai picture provides the answer. Now, John, if you weren't sold, or actually audience, if you weren't sold on the virtues of this film based on our our uh, positive notice. I'm sure that tagline will. I was ready to see the movie again after seeing that tagline. So it inspired me to look at some other uh, taglines for classic films. And um, Hell yes. Yeah, Let's I, do it. I want to see if you can guess what they are. Again, we're going to celebrate marketing here. Um, I limited my search to only the IMDb t- top 250. So the, the, these aren't for like a uh, plane nine from outer space or something like that. Like you don't have to reach that deep for, okay. uh, for, yeah. So, so kind of put, put yourself in that mindset. Um, What's what's a movie that will appeal to a, a middle aged white man? Um. <laughs> a Gen Xer, yeah, who, who has a film degree and worked at Blockbuster and yeah. would still be working at Blockbuster if Blockbuster's worst. <laughs> yes, and complains that they've there are too many women in Star Wars movies. All there right. you go. Yes. <laughs> okay, number one. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. Oh, this is uh, Shawshank Redemption. Correct. Number one, yes. Number one in this quiz and number one in the IMDb Top 250 still. Okay. Um, No lies. Show me the lie. (laughs) Yep. They they, they do get some things right. All right. Number two. Incredible. Astounding. Fact or fancy. Bewildering. Colossal. (sighs) Citizen Kane? (laughs) (laughs) No good guess. Um I'll just I'll just go ahead, John. It's the number one movie in your heart. It's Metropolis, the 1927 oh. Fritz Lang movie. Yes. Well, I mean, I worry about that movie because it it gets lower and lower every day <laughs> to make room for fucking the latest Avengers or you know, I think I think the Demon Slayer movies on there, which is really sad. But yeah, I guess we'll 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 get further down the IMDb top 250 and see uh, where okay. some of these movies lie. Um, yeah. All right, number three. The search began at the opening of their mother's will. Oh, um, shit. Oh, you're going to say it, and I'm going to be so mad at myself, but I don't know. I got nothing. Okay, because John, John, it's another one of your beloved favorites from this very show, Encendie. 
Oh, Ensemble Dive is on the top two. Wow, okay, yeah. they do have taste. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. I guess four. a rival's on there, so yeah, that's yeah. Nice. <laughs> they they yeah they they tend to like directors like Denis Villeneuve, mm. Christopher yes. Nolan sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> directors, uh, white men directors yeah. to be specific. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four. The picture you must see from the beginning, or not at all, for no one will be seated after the start of dot dot dot. <sighs> is it Citizen Kane? I don't know. <laughs> Shit. See, the problem is they're so bombastic, and there's so many big bombastic movies. Mm-hmm. Now, this is again like these are things that I like. So what? Else? Fargo? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did almost put Fargo on here. Um, Mm-hmm. I think you know the, te- the a homespun murder story, but no, that's not. That's not. Um, it is Psycho. Oh, yeah. I was hoping you would remember that little marketing gimmick they had, where mm. yeah, nobody would be seated, even though the twist doesn't happen until halfway. It doesn't matter. All right, number five. <laughs> number five, the Hotline Suspense Comedy. The Hotline Suspense Comedy. Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> No, I'll give you a hint. Think uh, directors who have multiple films, old white directors who have multiple films on there. Uh, what? S- sorry, one more time? Uh, old white directors who have multiple films in the IMDb. No, what's the tagline? The tagline. Oh, um, the the hotline suspense comedy. See, I want to go Scorsese, but he doesn't do a lot of comedy, so that's why, I don't know, Mean Streets? <laughs> <laughs> No, you did mention him earlier. Ooh. Uh, oh, um, is it a Tarantino movie? Nope. Ugh. Denise Veneer movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I guess we did mention a lot of it. No, it's Stanley Cubes, and it's, uh, oh. it's Dr. Strangelove. God dang. All yeah. right. Shoot. I know. should have got that one. I know. You're, John, you're, you're off your game, but hopefully we'll get you back. All right. Yep. We'll get you back with number six. It's all about women. And they're men. <laughs> okay, this is definitely a trick. Because, again, there's no women on the IMDb Top 250. You know this. Um, uh, but there is for this beloved classic, John. Winner of Best Picture. We've done it for this show before. All About Eve? Yep, correct Mundo. Oh, hey, <laughs> yeah. got it. I didn't know that was on the top. See, I don't even remember what's on the top 250 anymore. Mm-hmm. I have my assumptions, and clearly they're uh, they're failing me. So, Yes, okay. Number seven. Somewhere in space, this could all be happening right now. <laughs> Star Wars? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Sean, you nailed it. You're climbing back. We knew you would. Wait, hold on. I didn't specify. Star Wars, A New Hope. Yes, exactly. Yes. We're going yeah. by the original title. Yeah, not of the course. Yeah. dorky. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's actually technical episode four. <laughs> yeah, it's technically uh, the title card, A New Hope, was not in the original theatrical release, but it was not until after the release, though. But, yeah. <laughs> All right. Would you be interested in theme of my Katana collection? Anyway, um, number eight. Every inch of footage holds such a laugh. Some like it hot. <laughs> no, that's incorrect. This is uh, a sign. This is a Buster Keaton classic, Sherlock Junior. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we were going to oh. do that. Yeah, at some point, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all all forty five minutes of it. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I mean, that's just good laugh ratio right there. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many inches are in a 45-minute film reel, but uh, they're all in there. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Number nine. It's terrific. <laughs> City lights? No. Nope. You got me now on a silent film tangent, so. Um, yeah. No. It's terrific. <laughs> yes. Um, Come on, John. You got this one. You've already mentioned it. Think of the poster. Citizen Kane. Yes. Think of the poster. It's terrific. <laughs> and a happy new year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Only three more left. Number 10. Okay. Whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Saves one life. Schindler's List? Correct Amundo, John. Again, just Booyah. calling it back. Yeah. Booyah. I like that one because it's causing my Microsoft Word to go <laughs> absolutely batty. Like, there you go. <laughs> yes. Either say entirely or not make it fr- French. This, we're not putting adjectives after the, the verb, mm-hmm. uh, or after the noun, whatever. All right, number 11. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone would just die? Kill Bill, volume one? Nope. Uh, this is in the, in the realm of Demon Slayer and other classic anime films on there. Neon Genesis Evangelion, colon, oh. the end of Evangelion. Mm. Well, technically not everyone dies, Greg. They turn back into the primordial soup, okay? That's human instrumentality, all right? <laughs> I'm sure. I haven't seen that movie, so. <laughs> it is quite a trip. All right. Cool. <laughs> Look forward to us watching that next week. Okay. Yes. <laughs> all right, John. Final question, and and your biggest challenge yet. Two movies in the IMDb Top 250 have this tagline. Are you ready? Damn. You okay. have to name two. Okay. Number 12, The Story of a Lifetime. Truman Show. And Tuck Everlasting. The Story of a Lifetime. I guess Godfather Part 2 shows a lot of yeah, I'm going to go Truman Show and Godfather Part 2. <laughs> one for two, John. Truman Show is correct, but the other one is Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. How 90s the hell else? perfection. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How the hell else are you going to promote that movie? Um, watch this dumb dumb amble through history. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Can you believe that they abandoned a sequel? After 9-11 happened. <laughs> Come on. We could have had Forrest Gump, too. America was ready for it. America was hungry for it. <laughs> John, let's let's not make light of 9-11, okay? Um, okay. Yeah. One of our family members died in uh, 9-11. Um, they were one of the hijackers. Um, <laughs> oh! Craig. Where you did you pull that, that out you of? You can cut that. You can cut that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Again, like James Gunn, pushing the boundaries of taste. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, follow us on social media. Um, Twitter, send your anchor replies to Twitter. At Aspiring Snobs on Facebook. Uh, Aspiring Snobs. Um, Instagram, at Aspiring Snobs as well. And um, yes. we also have an email. Uh, aspiring snobs at gmail.com send your angry missives there, <laughs> there yes if you have any recommendations and hey uh give us five stars please i guess <laughs> hard to ask for it now <laughs> yeah again we can cut we can cut all that out <laughs> we don't have to yeah <laughs> no we're keeping it that's that's on you bro <laughs> we can put a positive we can retake it again and just do a put a positive spin like hey <laughs> nope nope it's in it's in 
<laughs> You're canceled, sis, and that's <laughs> <All right>. tea. <laughs> right. uh, I'm, just, I'm just sipping this tea right here. All right. <laughs> All right. All that's left now is to tell them what we're, they're watching next week. Okay. And I don't think you know, but I know. Because oh. I, I altered the sketch a little bit. Okay. Um, it's back to school season, folks. And I think it's time we hit up a classic 90s movie. Because we are hashtag 90s kids. And, you know, the 20-year cycle, it's, it's coming back. The 90s are back, folks. We mm-hmm. saw it in Captain Marvel. So this movie is kind of in, in conversation with Captain Marvel <laughs> in many ways. We're going to be watching Clueless. Absolutely. I think both are based on... Um... <laughs> uh, what's... Uh, uh, Oh gosh, I, I've Sense and sensibility. I believe. Sense of, yes, that's it. No, it's Emma. It's based on Emma. Jane Austen. Oh. That's it. Both are based on Jane Austen. That's, <laughs> I wanted to say Emily Dickinson, but that's a, a whole other show. Uh, <laughs> she didn't write novels, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> in any event, yes, it kicked off a whole uh, trend, a whole micro trend of uh, high school comedies based on Shakespeare, there like you go. ten things, ten things I hate about you, and uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Although that wasn't a comedy. What am I saying? It could have been, though. Yes. <laughs> they could have made it fun. They could have put a, a spin on it. <laughs> yeah. The fun spin on Othello. Absolutely. <laughs> it was the 90s, so it was a miracle if you got any movie where a black guy didn't go, oh, hell no. So. <laughs> uh, we are canceled, sis. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Thank goodness we're almost done. <laughs> yes. And with that, um, we hope you tune in next week as we watch Clueless. Uh, Please go ahead and watch it with us. But until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep, like, aspiring. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're doing offensive Valley Girl stuff. Come on. You're right. They're a protected class, too. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) That that was not, you know, I think there's so many roles that women deserve that I should not be taking them. So um, I will gracefully bow out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. Cross her mind and something